Hi, friends, and welcome to All Things Relatable, a place where stories are shared. It's hard to put a value on a story because the lasting effects it can have are often priceless. An individual's story has the potential to impact our lives in tremendous ways. My hope for you in joining me today is that this episode resonates with you and that you leave enlightened, ignited, and inspired because it only takes one moment to spark a change and leave an everlasting effect. I am so excited to talk with my next guest, Jacob Jenkins. He is wise beyond his years. He could write multiple books on the 25 years that he's lived so far. When I briefly chatted with him about being a guest on the podcast, he shared a few stories that had me hanging on to his every word, wanting to learn more. All of us carry stories with us along our journey, and each one influences and shapes us into who we are and who we will become. Jacob has so many stories that have played a role. When he was a child, he moved around a lot. He was always the new kid in school. And Jacob, like many other young kids, ended up exploring drugs at a very young age. His parents divorced and his family was separated by distance. Then when Jacob got a little older, he booked a one-way ticket to Nicaragua. Jacob's seen homeless children high on drugs, hungry and desperate. One time while scuba diving, he lost the air in his tank. And another time he was swept away in a rip current during a thunderstorm. Jacob's had over 15 concussions, six surgeries, and many broken bones. And he got the call that no child wants to get from their parent. He got the call from his father telling him that he had cancer. All of these experiences, along with so many more, have led to Jacob to where he is today. Jacob loves to skate and has built a nonprofit donating skateboards to children and helping families in need in various ways. He hosted the first skate competition in the Galapagos Islands and has put on events in Panama, Nicaragua, Costa Rica, and Arizona. Jacob has a coaching business and a media company. These things didn't just happen overnight. There was a turning point in Jacob's life when he came to realize that in order to take care of other people, he must first take care of himself. And that he did. He invested heavily into himself, spending over $50,000 on coaches and mentors, diving into books and attending events. And the investment into himself has paid off in so many ways. Hey, Jacob, I'm so excited to have you on the podcast today. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. I appreciate the introduction. Okay, well, I have a lot to learn from you. So I can't wait to dive into your story. So I'd like to start at the beginning. Can you take us back to your childhood and your upbringing and talk about what did that look like for you? Yeah, like you said, I was always a new kid. I'm born in North Carolina, Charlotte, and lived there preschool and then immediately moved um, to a different location, North Carolina. And that was, it was like, okay, now it's a new, I'm in a new kid. I'm in a new place. I got to find new friends. I'm still really young. But then that was the start of a long journey of every year being in a new house, being in a new school, having to make new friends, new dogs. Like every time we moved, it was just a new environment. So I learned very quickly, okay, if I want to hang out with someone, if I want something in my life, friends wise, that's what it started as. Um, I need to do this myself. You know, people are not just going to come up to you and say, hey, we want to be your friend. You should play with us, which is what we will all want, right? Being that weird new kid in the back of the class, you want people to go up to you, but in reality, nobody does. So I was swinging alone, playing alone, even 
being denied friends like, Hey, can I play football with you guys? And then just being completely shut down. Cause it's like, who is this redneck living in Illinois? Like, no, we're not going to hang out with him. So that turned into a, a lot of different things of being bullied at a young age or being not included. And then going through like puberty and getting angry and becoming the bully and then, you know, growing up and then it just turned into something where it's like, okay, if I can, if I can, do harm to someone or if someone can do harm to me, then let's flip that. How can I help someone or, you know, how could I be of value to someone? And in turn, they would want to be of value to me and then create those relationships to where you find people that, um, you know, you, you blend in. Like, for example, I have a friend who's joining my sales team and he loves sales. And for me, you know, I've cold called so many times I've done the whole thing and, and I don't like it. So to find someone that fills that gap, those are the relationships that you want to create. And that stemmed from, again, me initiating the conversations, me being the new kid, just always having to pick up and start new again, you know? And what was it that was um, jetting you off to different places time after time? My dad's work. So he, a lot of people think, oh, he was military, but no, he was working in IT. He started working on computers, fixing cables, going to people's house, like, you know, a little technician. And that grew into him being the like, head of fraud technology and uh, just running technology in the banking industry. So he's worked his way up through the corporate ladder through different jobs. And every year it seemed that, you know, we started living in a trailer in Gastonia, North Carolina. And then the next house, it was, oh, wow, this is a nicer house. And then the next house. And then Christmas, we start getting nicer gifts and we're going on vacations. And gradually you could start seeing um, the change in the environments and the schools and everything like that, just from his work. Okay. So I want to touch on this one point that you said from going from place to place, like you were the new kid. So you had to initiate the conversation and try to make connections. Uh, but then there was a point where you said that you weren't treated well or kind of denied um, being in these friend groups that, that turned you from being bullied into the bully. So can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So like I said, I'm from North Carolina. So I did at one point have a really hard Southern accent and then moving to Illinois in the Midwest, nobody talks like that. And like most people, they grow up in the same spot. They, you know, their parents, their grandparents, their grandparents, grandparents are all from around the same spot and they never leave this bubble. And the biggest thing now is like stepping outside of your bubble, right? Stepping outside of your comfort zone. I got that all the time because I was just put in different environments. And then, like I said, um, as my dad started getting promotions and becoming um, in better positions, we started taking vacations. Like I saw Jamaica and the poverty there, went to Mexico. Um, so it started of, of just that, just having to break out of your bubble. Okay. So then you, what, did that play a role in your life as you've kind of moved up? I guess, I don't even know if it would be you, the ladder, but your dad moved up the ladder economically. Like, did that change, um, like who you were have an impact on you? Or was that just something that gradually happened and it didn't really, um, have an effect? I don't even think I realized it honestly, because now that I think about it, I feel like more people would have wanted to hang out with me knowing that I was like, I had a dirt bike track in my backyard and I was riding dirt bikes all the time and I didn't have anybody to ride with. So it was like, I, wish that I could bring a friend over to ride dirt bikes with or go through the trails or do something fun with, you know, we had a pond in the backyard. So I was always catching turtles alone 
like in the canoe and just adventuring out. But I never had anybody to do it with. And I never was the kid that was going up to people like, hey, you should be my friend because I have X, Y, and Z and we can play in my bonus room or something like that, you know? So it wasn't even, I didn't really even notice it until my parents divorced because my dad moved to Mexico, sold all the bikes, sold the trailers, sold everything. Divorce happened. And my mom being this humble artist, you know, that route, she, we, we downsized homes and then it went from getting dirt bikes for Christmas going on these nice vacations to like, Hey, we need a, this is what a budget is. And, and this is, Hey, we're going to, you can't just get everything you want at the grocery store. Like, let's get what we need and we're fine. You know? And then it's like, what do you need for Christmas? Not like, Hey, let's make Santa a list of what everything you could possibly want, but what do you need? Clothes, shoes, underwear, those sort of things. So it was like, once we made that flip, I was like, wow. Okay. This, I saw both both avenues of it from growing, growing, growing of like my dad's wealth and, you know, the different houses. And then all of a sudden there's nothing. I don't have my dad. We're not racing. We're not going on trips. It's me, my sister and my mom and very humble living. So, um, yeah, it was an interesting change. So, and how old were you when the divorce happened? Around 12, I was in sixth grade. So just in the middle school. So it was like that key time of sixth, seventh, eighth grade, now freshman year. And then it's like right from going from being a little kid into preteen, teenager, college, you know. So it's like those, I would say the most important years. And um, I can't think of the person off the top of my head, but I'm uh, there's someone from my nonprofit that I met at an event who's going through uh, a divorce. And I actually, I just met up with him now that I'm recalling, but he has a son who's 12 years old and he starts telling me like, I want to get my son into skating or do something. I really love what you're doing. I feel like there would be a connection there. I don't know who you are, what you do. But when I saw you at this event, I just, I just told myself, like, I got to know this guy and I want my son to be a part of what he does. And then we start talking and having a, you know, we're sitting down, met at a restaurant and had a beer about it. And I'm thinking, man, this guy's telling me exactly what I went through around the exact timeline of, of where his son's uh, at, you know, and it's pretty cool because then now I can sit back and think of it. You know, I just turned 25 in December. How can I influence this kid and, and, you know, set his sail to maybe he doesn't have to go through the drugs or the, the cops or getting in fights or being a bully or, or whatever. What, what can I do to just start steering this kid and not just him, but everyone uh, that's going through similarities, like talking on this podcast, you know, we listen to these things to learn something. So how could I add value to these people? And before I didn't know where my value is, what I could give to people, why would someone want to listen to Jacob? But now it's like, I went through that. And if you've gone through it, experiences are our number one. If you can experience something and then help someone through that, or just share your experience, it's, you can't put a price tag on it. it you know, it's, it, it really helps people and you don't know who it's going to help, but that one person that listens to this, if that can change their life or help them make one correction in their life, then, you know, that's, that's my, what I view as success. You know, you want to help everyone, but if you try to help everyone, you can't help anyone. You, you, there's a bunch of people with sayings about that. If you try to help everyone, you're not going to help anyone. The riches are in the niches. It all falls into that who are you? What have you gone through? What are your strengths? What do you like to do? What do you love to do? And how can you help other people with that? Wow. I love that. Okay. So you 
are the perfect person, um, to get to cross paths with this little guy. So is there something that you wish that you had back then? Like, are you thinking in your mind, like, oh, if I just would have had like this conversation or this person or this advice or like someone to hang with, like what, um, now that you're in this position, is there anything that stands out that you want to bring to this connection with this little boy? Honestly, the only thing that comes to my mind is like my brother and my dad, because they were my best friends. It's like being ripped apart of, okay, yeah, we moved houses again. Um, I didn't really view the transition of like downsizing and now we're living on a budget and all these things. It was more of like, if I wasn't in school, I was riding dirt bikes or fixing the dirt bikes. And I was with my brother and my dad, my brother is five years older than me. So it was like, I looked up to my older brother, you know, I wanted to be with him and do what he wants to do. And then all of a sudden the garage is empty. We're not racing on the weekends. We're not training through the week. And on top of that, like, I don't have the two people that I just hung out with every single day for my entire life. So for me, I think having a resource, um, having something that you can utilize as an outlet, uh, a lot of people get stuck with troubles that they're going through. And that's why I love skateboarding, right? Uh, I found my skateboard. I remember sitting in the garage, the red paint. I remember it's empty. I'm sitting there on this little chair that I used that, you know, that we used to work on the bikes. And uh, I saw my brother's skateboard that he gave me and it was all blue, blue grip tape, blue board, blue wheels, blue bearings. I loved blue. So he bought me an all blue skateboard, but I never touched it because we were riding motocross. Uh, We lived one year in Tampa where I used to skate at the skate park of Tampa. I was like first grade. So he got me into skateboarding there. And then we stopped and started racing for more years. But then after that, it was like, I had that connection with my brother. And I told myself, I'm going to get good at skateboarding. So when I see my brother in Mexico, I didn't know when it was, but when I do see him next, I'm going to be good at skating or learn this trick to where I can beat him in the game of skate. And I used that as my motivation and I put my focus and my anger and my, you know, my sadness, everything that I was going through into skateboarding. And that was when I started competing with skating and getting in sponsorships. And I just fell in love with it. I mean, I, I used to skate for 12, 13 hours a day, um, Saturday, Sunday. And that was the number one thing. So for anyone that is going through this, like this little kid, uh, it's perfect that I have this nonprofit now because then I could bring him in and say, Hey, we have this event. Do you want to volunteer with me and bring him in on the booth and just take his mind off of everything else he has going on in life and just maybe skate with him for 20 minutes or just talk to him or hang out with him, build a board together, go donate some skateboards to, you know, wherever I got to do and just include him in this. So then he has something that'll pull him into the future. And I talk a lot about this in my programs is finding your why that purpose. Everybody needs something to pull you into the future. You know, we're, we're pulled back by family. We're pulled back by people and negativity and we're pulled aside by the current situation of, Oh, everything you got to do on a day-to-day basis, but what do you have that's pulling you to get through tomorrow? Um, that's the biggest thing. And that was skateboarding for you first motocross and then skateboarding. Okay. I want to pause for a sec and go back to your brother, because like you said earlier that you, the divorce happened, you downsized, you're with your mom and your sister, but we haven't heard about your brother yet. So you have a brother, your parents Mm -hmm. got divorced. Your brother is with your dad. So you lose your brother and your dad. So why were you separated? Why did you stay with your mom over your dad or, or what was that? Um, like how did that, yeah, my brother, 
my brother graduated high school early, um, as did my sister and myself, coincidentally. We just didn't like high school, you know, again, fitting in. We Get were the hell out of there. Yeah. And um, I believe he was set to go to uh, a university in Texas. But so you got to think, I'm just in sixth grade. And then he's graduating high school. So he knew what was going on. I knew my parents were splitting, but I didn't really know what, like, okay, they, I knew they fought and whatever, but he knew when they got sat down, like, Hey, we're splitting up and you know, your dad's moving to Mexico. Cause he got a new job there. Uh, what do you want to do? And he had a decision, you know, we were too young, my sister and I to make the decision of where we wanted to be. So my mom obviously was like, no, you're staying with me. And my brother was set off to go to college, but he, he tells me now that he didn't want to leave my dad alone in, in Mexico. I mean, you got to think my dad as well. He, he, just battling bipolar and, you know, his own thing and this, the stress of work. He didn't want to leave him alone going to sleep every night in a foreign country uh, without his family just after a divorce. So he went with my dad so that he had someone there with him. And that started my brother going into college in Mexico to, to medical school and a whole, whole other avenue for him. But it was that turning point of, okay, I'm not going to go to college in Texas. I'm going to go with my dad. Okay. So you said like motocross was your, your outlet. That's what you did. You hung out with your brother. You hung out with your dad. You wrenched on bikes, you raced, like that's where you put your energy into. So now it's all taken away. You find this skateboard that your brother gives to you. And that is what is going to pull you forward. So you talk about getting into drugs. Did that happen? Like before the divorce, after the divorce, like when did the drugs kind of come into play? I think it was friends, friend groups, um, and the skate park, you know, which again, just ties into now evolving skateboarding of of part of the mission of what we want to do, change the way people view skateboarders. You know, I smoked my first cigarette at the skate park. I smoked weed in the forest behind the skate park for the first time. Um, I drank my first beer at the skate park. I looked up to the guys that were cool and really good. And I started becoming good for my age. There was no other person really that that was my age that I I skated with that was kind of at the same level. Like I really pushed myself when I was at the skate park, I skated and then I skated home to eat dinner and then go skate in the garage. And then I'm waking up skating to school, skating home from school, skating to the skate park. I mean, it was just nonstop. That's what I did. And, um, Unfortunately, I was, I started hanging around the older kids because I idolized them. I wanted to ride what they rode. I wanted to be who they, who they were. I wanted to talk like them. And then you see them smoking cigarettes all the time. It gets to the point where you, you have to get into the group, right? Once you're accepted into a group, now you're part of it. And these guys are 18 to 25, or even older. And I, those are the guys I'm hanging out with. So I'm going into the skate park not talking to the people that are my age really, but hanging out with the older guys. And that pushed me with skateboarding as well, because they were super good. And if you want to get good at something or you want to live a certain lifestyle, I was just listening to Tom Bilyeu uh, impact theory earlier today. And he said, you know, it's, you want to surround yourself with where you want to be. So if you want to be a doctor or you want to be a a billionaire, go find a billionaire. You want to be a millionaire, go find a millionaire. You want to find the person that's living the life that you want to live. So for me, it was like, I I really want to progress skateboarding. I'm going to hang out with these guys. And that just so happened to, you know, with the cigarettes and the drinks and all that stuff, skating downtown Chicago, and they take a smoke break. And then you're the only, I'm the only kid that's sitting there like, can I try it? And then it's that, the cigarette and 
the the beers and then you know friends are smoking weed and then the weed turns into you just start learning and, and i don't know it was just i was curious you start dabbling in a lot of different things it wasn't like i had a problem i would say <laughs> i don't think anybody would admit to that but um i was curious it was like wow you can what's the what's the is it dare that that program in school that teaches you about all the different drugs that's Another thing too, where you learn about these things and you're like, wow, I didn't know you could get high on mushrooms or what is LSD? What is, you can drink cough syrup. It's like caution parents, don't let your kids drink cough syrup. And you're thinking to yourself, wait, I can drink this stuff and feel good. And then it opens doors. And I didn't even know about it before stepping into these little programs that they have. And then it's like, wow, okay, well, what, at what point will this kill you? And at what point will this just make you feel good? And I always researched and I felt like I was a good person at doing drugs. Cause it was, I didn't ever wanted to take too much to die or to overdose. I just wanted to do enough to taste it and to try it and experience it. And that just led into just a whole bunch of stuff. You know, I was never the kid that was alone doing drugs in my basement. It was like, I was, I just experienced mushrooms or LSD and I would spend all day blocked off going through forest preserves and just looking at nature or going to six flags and being on roller coasters. And I always had fun doing it. I always put myself in a mental state of I'm okay. My mom knows where I'm at. I have a, a sober friend who's going to take care of me. If something goes wrong, like I planned this whole thing out and just did it, you know? And with that being said, we all have a list of rules. We all have a list of tasks and to do's and um, that we have to follow. And for me, I just straight up asked my mom, um, what do I need to do to make you happy? What do I need to do for you to give me the freedom to do whatever I want? Because I didn't like having bedtimes. I didn't like not being able to go to my friends till whenever I wanted. And she said, she just listed it out. You know, you got to know the rules in order to break them. So she's like, you got to get good grades, A's and B's. Um, be respectful, use your manners, clean up after yourself. Here's a list of chores that you have to do, you know, every day uh, and all those things. And I'm like, okay, check, 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 do all these things, make everybody happy. The teachers, parents, they're all happy. Now I can go off and nobody's going to question what I'm doing. And I kind of cheated the system that way of, okay, let me just make my mom happy. Let me make teachers happy. I'll get good grades, whatever. Now I can, I can skip first hour because I'm already, I have an A in the class or, you know, I can miss this test because whatever, I already have done all the homework. So I calculated points and I really utilized, uh, I, the system of what people thought, okay, this is a perfect kid. I did that. So then I can go and do whatever I wanted. Okay. So you had the drive, was that drive like just for skateboarding or just the freedom to, um, kind of come and go the freedom. I loved it. Um, I, it was really, I didn't want to be held back. Even now when people ask me like, what do you want to do? What do you, who do you want to be? I, I didn't know how to answer that question. And over time, it was just, I got, I would get so frustrated when teachers or parents are, they're asking you, what do you want to do? What do you want to be? What do you want to go to college for? It's like, I'm looking at these pamphlets of all these degrees and titles. I'm like, yeah, I could be a lawyer. I could be a doctor. I could do this. I just, I don't know. I just want to be me. Why can't I just be me? And that was not a good answer for anybody. They just laughed it off. Like, well, you need a degree. You need to do this. No, you got to, my dad would always say, you got to eat your shit sandwich. You know, you don't have to like your job. Just get into a good job, work through the company, make a lot of money. That's his philosophy, which, yeah, he makes a lot of money and he's really big in the IT, but his health isn't there. And he's got all these things to play with, but he can't use it. He has unlimited vacation time, but he doesn't take it. And he's working in the ICU after surgery. It's like, 
do I want to go that route? No, I just want to live my life. So what makes me happy? And uh, Ty Lopez talks about the four pillars of life, you know, health, wealth, love, and happiness. You got to have health, mental health, physical health. And that goes into the wealth, love, the happiness. So I try to balance those four pillars. And he learning that from him, it kind of clarified of what I was feeling. And ultimately, that was it. I just wanted to be me. And in that it's, I want health, I want wealth, I want love. And ultimately, those three things will lead to happiness. So I'm on a constant search for those and try to balance them all out. Oh, God, I love that. So okay, let's just go back quickly to you are now in skateboarding, doing like skateboarding like 12 hours a day. You found something that you loved, you could pour your energy into. What was it like the first time that your brother saw you skate? Because you were like, I've got to learn to skate. Like I've got to impress my brother. I've got to connect. The next time I see him, he's going to be blown away. Like what was that first meetup with your brother? Like it was in a parking garage. My dad lived in like a penthouse. They paid Actually, it was he lived in so many different things, even moving out uh, into Mexico. He lived like in one house in Toluca, then he lived in the city, and then he's just constantly bouncing around. And the bank paid for everything. So it wasn't like he had to pay for his house or whatever because they moved him internationally. So um, I remember skating in the tennis court was the first one. Now I'm bringing my memory back. It was a tennis court in this private community, and nobody really – they were like, who are these two – white boys in our, you know, on these tennis courts, like you guys can't be skating here. So we're always being kicked out by security at wherever we were, but it wasn't like I got there and I was really good. And he was blown away. It was a gradual thing where he taught me how to heel flip in Mexico, my first flip trick. Um, and then I started getting better and better. And I would see him on holidays. You know, my dad was like the holiday parent. I'd go on spring break to see him, summer break to see him, winter break, Thanksgiving, those sorts of things. Um, so over time, it just got to the point where my brother's like, wow, he's progressing. And then he was like, wow, you're too good. I'm just going to film you. And I don't really want to skate with you anymore. Can I, I'm just going to watch you. And uh, he just became the filmer, I guess. <laughs> so awesome. Okay. So where did skateboarding take you initially? Because I know where you are now with it, but um, what happened after that? So I just kept competing at local competitions, you know, in the Midwest, it's freezing cold and the weather sucks. So it's like indoor parks was where it was at. I got the memberships to them and I just lived there and they would have monthly competitions around there. So I started competing in them, getting better. And, um, you know, I, I use skateboarding as an outlet again of everything that was going on in my life. I use it as a way where you're, you're present in the moment when you're skating, you're not thinking about your problems. You're not thinking about divorce. You're not thinking about your girlfriend that just broke up with you. None, none of that matters. What matters is you and the skateboard. And when you fall down, like you're getting back up and you push yourself and I'll spend hours on one trick. And then I land it. And to me, it was like, I didn't just because you land a trick doesn't mean you learned a new trick. I had land times in a row before I, I considered it. I learned it. If I could go the next day to the park and the first thing I do is that new trick that I learned and land it, that was me considering, okay, I learned this and um, yeah, use it as an outlet. And then that shifted into using it as a resource. And I, I like to teach that because so many skateboarders use skateboarding as an outlet to their shitty life. When in reality, you can apply the same principles you use at the skate park and use it as a resource in your relationships and your business and in, in, in your job. You know, you don't just go to a job most people right now, right. There's they're out of work and they need jobs and they, 
this unemployment. It's like, just go apply to 50 different, fill out, you know, 50 applications in a week. And I'm telling you, you'll have 10, 15 options. Most people will just go grab a application, bring it back home, set it on the counter and not fill it out for three days. I would go in, fill out the application there, ask to speak with the manager, ask for this, an interview on the spot and then say, yeah, I could literally put on an apron and work for you right now and just show that drive. And then I could sit back and say, okay, I got four different places. Which one's paying the most? Which one do I want to be in? Did I like this manager? No. And then you have options. And that I directly learned from skateboarding of you got to do it more than once. You can't just try it once and then hope that it works out. Yes, absolutely. I feel like that's such a good point. Like checking the options out because some people might even, some people might leave the application on that on their counter at home, but some people might only apply for one job and think like, this is it. This is the fit. I got one job. I'm fine. But when you put yourself out there, go to multiple different places, try to try new things. Then maybe there's something too, that you might discover that's a perfect fit or the fit for now, um, with more options available. hundred percent. Yeah. So sorry. <laughs> um, okay. So you now are going to use your skateboarding as a resource for yourself. Like you've gotten good. You're doing competitions. Um, how did that lead into your nonprofit and the stuff that you've got going on right now? Yeah. So it basically was, you know, I started, I was, my parents divorced, all that stuff. I started going through middle school and high school. Um, I was considered like the skateboarder. And again, skateboarders have like a bad rep. And I lived in um, Barrington. It even sounds preppy. It's like the a richy rich zip code. There's kids driving Maseratis and new BMWs. And it was like, I thought I had nice things growing up. And it was like, okay, great. I went on vacation. I had nice things. But then you see these kids that are like, ask for a new iPhone. I remember, um, they're just given everything spoiled, absolutely spoiled, which is strange because you, it's like one of the richest zip codes. It also has one of the highest suicide rates for teenagers and young kids. So it's like, you're given everything, but their parents really, it was crazy. I mean, the, the mansions that I, I thought we, I had a cool house again, bringing friends over. When I started having friends, I was like, cool. Yeah. That Jacob has a fun house. No, going to other people's house. It was like, my house was the garage of what they were at, you know, with butlers and maize and freaking basketball courts and full size swimming pools in the back. I mean, it was crazy um, to see. And yeah, I kind of just stuck to myself, hung out with the skateboarders, got into the drugs, whatever. And then I remember a turning point really was um, I got suspended the last day of sophomore year and I had to take like the finals by myself in the summer. Um, And my friend, I just got high. And I didn't even go to school. I had a doctor's appointment, but I smoked in the, in the morning, dropped my friends off. All of a sudden they get like caught. The school officer brings them in, whatever. And they're like, Oh, who did you smoke with? And then my name gets thrown in. So it was like, I was thrown under the bus immediately. Like, wow. Okay. So I actually showed up for my math class. It was like the last period of the day. And then all of a sudden my friend texts me saying, Hey, you know, we're screwed. I'm like, what does that mean? And before he even could reply back. There was an officer coming in, taking me out of my math class, sat me down. And then my mom was there. And then it was like, 
all of a sudden I'm sitting in front of the Dean and there's rehab pamphlets. She's like, well, this is what we recommend because the court's going to recommend you do this. So I got thrown in this outpatient rehab and that was the biggest thing. It was like, okay, now I'm 15, 16. I'm going to be in here at least until I'm 18. And they told me that you're not going to get out of here until we tell you and we deem you eligible to get out of here until we think that, that you can leave. And, um, I knew people that went through it that were in high school and hated it. And it was like the, one of the worst strictest rehabs. So I just made that flip. Um, they took my car away. They took all my passwords, Facebook. They took my phone. I couldn't hang out with anyone. I mean, they were that initial shift of your life as you know, it uh, is not your life anymore. We're going to rebuild your life. And it was harsh, but I look back on it and that was where I had to make the decision. Okay. I could fight this for the next three years or I can make them happy again, breaking the rules. Right. I'm like, what, what do they need? Okay. They put me in a suit or I got to do this. I got to go to AA meetings. I got to write papers. I did all of it. And I was one of their earliest graduates because I knew I didn't want to be in there. And with that, I just took off. I mean, I didn't play around with the drugs or anything for years. Um, but I remember sitting down with my counselor and he said, you know, you have all the credits. All you really need is like an English class. You can graduate early. So I made a decision to um, double up on my English classes in, in my junior year. And then I just, I couldn't talk to anybody, right? I didn't have friends. So I just made a commitment to graduating a year early. And then I walked with the um, seniors. I didn't know anybody. I knew one person. We're still friends today. And then I just had this fire in me that said, I'm not turning back. You know, I'm, this is, this is the point where I, I build my life. And, um, I made the decision to go immediately into college. I got my associate's degree in one year. So when my friends graduated high school, when I should have graduated, I was getting my associate's degree. And then I just jumped ahead of the, of, of the game, like two years. And then I sat back and I remember having a conversation with my dad and he was like, well, you know, you should slow down. Don't go into your bachelor's. Like, why don't you just take a break? Like you're well ahead of the game. You've turned your life around. You're doing awesome. Why don't you just go and, and relax a little bit? And uh, yeah, that was when I booked a one-way ticket to Nicaragua. And um, that was New Year's of 2015. And I spent seven months, the first seven months of 2016, just traveling, adventuring, and trying to figure out my purpose, my why. And that's what led into figuring out, you know, NESW. Like, okay, what do I want to do? That was that trip. It's like, I'm going to go find me. I'm going to go figure out what I want. Okay. So you went solo, mm -hmm. one-way ticket. Um, what did you discover about you, uh, like through the trip? What was that trip like that experience being, I mean, you said you were kind of by yourself as you were younger going through school and kind of being the new kid. So you kind of had that a little bit of that perspective, like you could make it on your own. Do you think that helped you, um, go on the solo 100%. trip by yourself. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. What was that like? How, what did you discover about yourself in those seven months? Um, a, a lot of things. It was not so much of me directly trying to find myself. It was like, I'm here in a new place alone in a hostel, sleeping on a bed with like eight other people in this room that I don't know that are all around the world, you know? And I've got literally no plans. I went from taking seven classes in one semester, nonstop doing work in the tutoring center or doing homework or taking exams to not having anything on my calendar. You know, I was color coding classes and I had it, I had like three different calendars that I kept 
and I was so busy and I got it done. And then it was like, I have nothing to do. I literally have nothing to do. So when someone was like, oh, we're going to take a bus six hours north and go in this canyon and hike. Want to go? I'm like, I got nothing to do. So I go six hours north. And then all of a sudden, another person from a different country is like, hey, I'm going to go to these islands that are, you know, eight hours this way. Do you want to go? I'm like, okay, I'll go there. And I just spent time just just seeing the world. And that led into good things and bad things. You know, I've had, I had my, my shoes stolen, my, my, I have had things stolen from me. I got put in a circle with people with machetes, um, bad and good things happen, but it was a collective of this whole trip that made me who I am. Like I said, I mentioned to you the, um, the rip current, you know, experiences like that, where, you don't know what you're going to get yourself into. And by no means did I try to go and drown myself, but it was like, looking back on that, I'm grateful to be alive. And that was a crazy experience. Like I have so much respect just for the ocean, just because of that, you know? So maybe without that, I'd be a little bit more reckless in the ocean, but not anymore. You know? so it's, you, you learn things from, from these, I'm not going to go to a certain place just because oh this thing happened. So it's like through experiences, you learn the most. And it's one thing to see, um, it's one thing to see like an animal at the zoo. You see a monkey at the zoo. That's cool. Oh, wow. There's a monkey. But to be on the beach and you're just laying there tanning, you got nothing going on today. You're eating coke, eating a coconut. And then all of a sudden a gang of monkeys come up and steal all your stuff and start running in the trees. And you're like freaking out. Like, what do I do? These monkeys have my shoes and my, my only food that I had. And it's just a different experience. So I always tell people like, go experience it. I don't like the whole zoos and um, aquariums. Like in Arizona, we have Odyssey. They've had so many dolphins die. Like dolphins should not be in Arizona. By no means should there be like a seahorse here. That like someone went and took that thing and put it over here just for us to go pay $60 to go look at it. Like save up the money, go to the place where those things are and look at it and experience it yourself. Because I'm telling you, seeing a seahorse for the first time, you know, 60 feet under the ocean, in its natural habitat was way more uh, like lively. And, and I just loved it so much more than looking at it at a tank. And, um, you know, you earn it. You got to earn those things. If, if you don't have the money to go see like a rhino or something in Africa, you don't get to. You got to deserve it. And um, it's through that process of deserving. We don't we don't get what we want in life. We get what we deserve. Mm. And what drew you to Nicaragua? Like what was um... random? Random. Okay. So I knew I wanted to go South. I wanted to see the Spanish speaking countries and teach myself Spanish, uh, which I did, but it was El Salvador was way too dangerous. Um, you know, Honduras, super dangerous, Nicaragua, very dangerous, but it was like, well, how dangerous can they be? You know, especially growing up in Chicago, everybody thinks, Oh, I'm never going to go in, in Chicago. I've learned everywhere is dangerous. If you want to, you put yourself in the environments that, that you see fit, right? Uh, you surround yourself with the people that you want to surround yourself with. So if you go out looking for trouble, you will find trouble. Uh, I can go and, and probably get stabbed or shot if I wanted to in Phoenix, 20 minutes away. I can start going and asking people, Hey man, where do I get the good stuff? Like, and Hey, and I, you know, you wear a nice watch or you, you start wearing your Apple AirPods and you got your phone out at night walking around downtown Phoenix, you're probably going to get mugged. You talk to the wrong person and they see that you're flashy with nice clothes. It's like you're an easy target. So it doesn't matter where you're at. If you're in the middle of 
Honduras or Managua, Nicaragua, or you're in, you know, downtown Phoenix. It's like you, you have to have some street smarts there to, oh, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to go to the nice places or I'm going to stay around like the nice restaurants or, you know what I mean? Yeah. Okay. So then when you came back from this trip, what happened next? Like you discovered all of these different things about you. Um, what did you do with that? So when I came back, I immediately enrolled into, well, I came back around like August and then I started, I enrolled into ASU and for the spring semester. So I picked up like a, a serving job in the restaurant industry. And, um, I did that for a while, but I, I just was working, living with my dad, just kind of taking it easy, transitioning back into it, knowing that I was about to um, pick up my bachelor's at ASU. And then I doubled up on classes again. Cause I'm like, why not? I'm just going to keep overloading and pushing myself. And, um, yeah, I, I just remember sitting in macroeconomics. There was like 300 people in this lecture hall and the uh, professor was from Europe. I couldn't understand a word she was saying. Um, I was basically living in the tutoring center because I didn't understand what she was saying. And like, how can you ask a question when you're in this huge lecture hall? How do you really get value when the teacher is just reading off of the book or like a presentation? So it was like, I learned quickly from going back there that it was like, I'm not just going to listen to this lady talk for an hour. And then I understand macroeconomics. I got to go home and read the book. And that was when I realized, okay, I don't like this whole thing. I can do it. College, I think is just to prove that you can do your chores. Um, it, it really, it, it lays out your schedule and your structure. You know, you're giving a syllabus for each class. So it's like, this is what you're going to do. And this is at the end of the four months where you should be. And if you do X, Y, and Z, then you'll get there and you'll get a good grade and, you know, you'll get your little piece of paper in real life. The education doesn't stop, you know, high school, college, if you go on to your doctorate or whatever, like afterwards, what are you doing in that education? Because most people just stop learning uh, and then they don't know what to do. They get into a random job. It doesn't it's not even with their field of work or what their degree was. And they're just stuck because they don't know what to do. But what you have to do is just build your own schedule. Again, it's, it's your life. You have to hold yourself accountable and say tomorrow at 8 a.m. I'm going to do this. I'm going to get myself in the gym. You have to build your syllabus of your life. And most people don't do that. So once I learn sitting in there, I'm like, man, I don't, I don't like this. I'm going to go and do my own syllabus. I'm going to, I know if I leave and do bad things and I'll get thrown in jail, but if I go and do good things and maybe something will happen for me. And um, yeah, I just, learned right away when coming back from seven months traveling to back into college, it was like, Nope. Okay. No, I'm going to go travel again. (laughs) No, thank you. Okay. So what did your syllabus look like? You now figured out, like, I'm going to write my own. What, uh, what kind of things did you fill your syllabus with? Uh, work immediately. It was just money. I wanted to get money. So I started overworking myself. Uh, At one point I had five different jobs. I was tutoring someone in the morning um, and then I would go to like Longhorn Steakhouse and then I was working at another steakhouse in the evening. And then I was doing skate lessons in between those, um, at a skate park and my own private lessons. So it's like, I had five different jobs at one point that I was just, and I told myself, I want to get a base, you know, you want to have a, a, a reserve, a, a savings. And, um, yeah, I saved up like 15,000. And I made a decision to sell my car and sell my clothes. And I wanted to go travel again. And, um, 
the first trip, my parents kind of supported me with it. You know, I had savings, but they supported me because they were like, Hey, good job. You turn your life around, you know, we're going to help you and you go and do this trip because we think this would be good for you. This time it was like, I'm on my own. I'm in my own apartment. Um, again, I'm, I had to write it out. And the only thing that I knew was clock in work and then I get money. And that's where you can work super hard, but at some point there's a threshold to it. I remember driving home, coming back because I was only sleeping a couple hours and, you know, I was literally working myself to death for minimum wage or less, just tips. And some nights people don't even tip you. So then you're walking out with like $12 and you just did a five hour shift. Um, but I remember I just had tunnel vision that I wanted to get home and I'm falling asleep and um, I almost got hit. I ran through a red light and like both cars just like stopped and it woke me up and I look back and there's two cars that are slammed on their brakes in the intersection. And then I just told them it was again, these little things like that, where I was like, I'm not doing this. This is wrong. I shouldn't be doing this. I got to start working smarter and not harder. Um, but at first, yeah, it was like, I need money. I'm going to do this. Whatever I can do to make a dollar, I'm doing it. Yeah. It seems like that's kind of a theme through your life. Like this work, I don't even know workhorse mentality or what you're doing. Like when you want, you've finished, um, school early, you got your degree early, you like whatever you needed to do, like you were willing to go in a hundred percent to make it happen. You had five jobs at the same time. Like that's just insane. It's like, whatever your goal was, you were willing to, uh, strap down and do whatever it took. So when you figured out like this isn't working, I've got to do something else. Um, I can't trade my time for money or minimum wage. Um, did you travel again? Yeah. So I saved up a lot of money and I knew I wanted to travel again. And then I treated myself, you know, like the work hard, play hard. I worked my ass off for those every dollar. And then, uh, I traveled differently before it was, I, I was sleeping on the beach. I was just throwing up a hammock between two palm trees. Um, I made forts. I lived off coconuts for like five days at one point. Uh, just in the middle of nothing in a national park. I really, I hitchhiked, you know, I took the local buses. I, I didn't have shoes cause they got stolen. And then I went to buy new shoes and the quality there was just poor. So they, they immediately broke. And then I bought another pair and they broke. So I just didn't wear shoes for like 60 days. Um, but the next trip I knew I had money and I saved that money to spend it. I wasn't trying to save it for a rainy day. Uh, so it was a very, very different, um, thing. I, I was renting cars. So I was renting houses. Um, I was renting, you know, I'd stay at, I stayed at like the Wyndham hotel resort in Bogota, Colombia. And I got the presidential suite for like whatever thousand dollars a night. I had like a jacuzzi in King bed sauna in the room. I mean, I was living it up because I knew, okay, I can do this and I'm planning for this and I budgeted for this. Um, so I lived a very different lifestyle the second trip. But the end of that second trip is when I got that phone call because I really didn't plan on leaving and, and ending the trip. I was going off with this nest egg of money, knowing that I want to figure out how to make my own money. And my brother was working online doing social media marketing and doing websites and SEO and apps. And he had his own thing. And he's like, hey, dude, you can sell for me. You could just literally start cold calling and uh, make me sales. A website costs like a thousand dollars. So if you sell that, I'll give you whatever, 200 bucks for your commission. Um so I was cold calling from Costa Rica. I was cold calling in Aruba uh, and I was working 
you know, and I, I had a drone that I bought and the GoPro, the stabilizer sticks. So I was making videos, selling them to the, to the hotels and restaurants there. So it was like, I was tasting that entrepreneur thing. Okay. I just worked five jobs for a freaking year and I made pennies, but how can I work now and do the things that I want to do and just be free and live this nomadic lifestyle or this, you know, laptop entrepreneur. And then I got the phone call that my dad was like, Hey, you need to come back. Something happened. And I was down to like my last $400. So I bought the plane ticket. I came back. I had nothing, like nothing. I had my backpack and skateboard, no money, no car, no nothing. Right. So I was like, what do I have to lose? My dad said he had cancer, my grandparents, everybody's in town. And then they all left. And then I'm sitting here like, should I leave and go back to Panama? Do I just like, what do I do? I, I literally have nothing. And my dad, he wanted me to stay with him and I wanted to help him. And I didn't know how long he had to live. Thank God. I mean, he's still alive. He's cancer free. It was like, you don't know. And um, I started living with him and then it got to the point, you know, long story short that I was trying to help him, but I ended up hurting myself because he just, you, you can't help someone that, that doesn't help themselves first. And that is so big. So if anybody listening, if there's one thing you take away, you cannot help someone unless they first help themselves. And my dad was dying. Yes. But he was killing me in that process where I was uncomfortable. I didn't want to go into the kitchen to get food. I would skip meals if my keys were on the counter and my phone was on the counter and I walked in the room and then they were in the kitchen, I wouldn't even go in there. I would skip whatever I had to do and just sit in the room, drink water out of the sink just to not go in there and, you know, have a confrontation. And it was like, I was always at fault. It's my fault for everything. And um, it just turned into like, what am, like, what am I doing? I'm literally here to help this guy, but everything's my fault. Um, and it was bad. I was not sleeping and it just was not in a good spot. And that's when I started, I, I made a decision and just left. I just left and got my own place. And I told myself, and this was a time where I started listening to Tony Robbins and Jim Rohn and personal development. I said, I am not, I'm, I'm tired of helping everybody else out. I'm going to help myself. And um, yeah, they say only from positions of strength, can you help someone else? And as much as I was trying to help him, I was not in a good spot. So it just wasn't helping. And that turning point when I left and made the decision to help myself was when I started NESW. I got the name for it, assigned it with the Arizona Corporations Commission. Um, I started just really dumping in and listening. I'd wake up 3, 4 a.m. just to run. I, didn't, I don't even like running to this day. I've had two knee surgeries. My knee hurts, but I'm running and I'm just repeating what Jim Rohn's saying, repeating what Tony Robbins saying, watching the sunrise, you know, eating good and, and, just all the right things about personal development. And I just absorbed that. And um, that I, what I thought was the right path. Um, but it's led me down everything that I'm doing today. If, if I were to start it over, I wouldn't start a nonprofit, a 501c3, but it was the thing that I had thought that was right. You know, you just have to fail forward. And um the skateboard community talks about this. If you fall forward, then you, that means you committed on a trick. But if you hesitate and you pull back right before you're about to throw yourself off a stair set, you'll probably, you always get more hurt when you hesitate and then you half-ass the trick than if you just fully commit, because then you can just roll away from it. And with that, I went full force into what I thought was the right direction. And then from that, you start learning. And then I'm, I'm seeing Tony Robbins live and I'm not just listening to him. And then I'm, 
meeting like Grant Cardone and then I'm meeting Gary V and then I'm li listening to Sylvester Stallone and I'm listening to Floyd Mayweather live and I'm seeing and I'm surrounding myself with these the right people because I wanted to be wealthy I you know and I made that decision who do I want to be like I'm like how does this guy die with a with a net worth of 500 million and I'm checking back in the in in the college of okay which degree is going to make me a billion dollars none like there's no degree that's going to make you hundreds of millions and billions of dollars. Degrees will make you rich, but you know, real wealth is who you become. And I was on this hunt and still am on this, you know, journey of becoming someone of, of great wealth. Like what does it take and what do you have to do to be someone that's, that's worth so much and that has given so much to the world and made such an impact because that, that's, I'm just following that path. And that went from the nonprofit and so many other things. So maybe right now I'm not doing the right thing. Obviously, I haven't accomplished all my goals, but it's one step at a time. I'm doing it. And the biggest thing is to adapt. You know, I spent two months in the Galapagos Islands. It's where Charles Darwin said it's not the strongest who succeed. It's not the, the smartest. It's the ones most adaptable to change. Most people won't adapt. They're stuck in their routine. They're unwilling to get uncomfortable. And just like the crab, it sheds its shell when it becomes too big for its shell. It's uncomfortable. So it sheds it and builds a new shell. The same thing applies to us. Like if we're comfortable, if you're doing the same thing every day, you're going to sleep the same time, you're watching Netflix for two hours every night, you go to your little job, and then you're wondering why you got all these problems and you're not living the life you want to live. Maybe you're too comfortable. You got to get uncomfortable. So I'm always looking to, for ways to make myself uncomfortable. Oh, love all of that. Oh my gosh. And I think, I feel like just from our conversation and kind of following you for a little while that you always really had that in you, but you just weren't around in the right environment around the right people. So when you made that switch and found this like personal development and these people who, uh, you looked up to and wanted to be like, and around, um, is that kind of that path you started like diving right into that? So what kind of opportunities started to, um, show up and like, how did the abundance look once you finally were in this place where you were so meant to be? The first thing that the first decision you have to make or realization is that your parents your boyfriend, your girlfriend, you know, friends, family, they love you. And yeah, maybe they have the best intentions for you. They don't always give the best advice, you know, and they, and um, once, and you have to live by that hundred percent of that. You will not take advice or criticism from someone that in lack of better words, doesn't know what they're talking about, right? If you want to learn what it's like to live a marriage of 60 years, you go ask some old people that have been married for 60 years of what it takes. You don't ask the person that's been divorced five times, right? Um, you're not going to go to an electrician and ask them for advice on like, I don't know, flooring, because they don't do that. They do the electricity. You don't go to the haircut place trying to buy shoes. It's those little principles where you have to think, okay, you know, I love my mom. I love my dad. I love my brother and everybody else. But like, what do I want? And if this is what I want, who has it? And then go follow them. And um, that's, that's the turning point. It was, okay, I'm not listening to nobody else. I'm listening to me. I'm listening to what I want. 
And I'm going to go listen to other people and learn from the people that are successful and that they've got the freedom to do whatever they want. Because again, I just wanted to be me. I didn't want to clock into something. So it was like, how do I be me? I need money to pay my rent. I need money to cover all my expenses. I need money to, to travel again because it costs a lot of money. So how do I get money being me? And then I start looking at Jim Rohn and, you know, he was paid. He started giving free speeches away. And, and then someone was like, hey, we'll pay you to give your speech because I really loved it last week to, you know, the presentation. He's like, wow, someone will pay me just to talk about my life. You know, and that was one of his turning points. He was like, I can get paid for this. And then he started doing that. Um, so, yeah, I'm just learning from people that have already done it. Okay. So you, when you asked yourself, like, what do I want to be? What is the answer to that? What do you want to be? There's, I would say it comes down to three things. It's, it's skateboarding. I love skateboarding. It's a lifestyle. Oh, extreme sports. Let's put it there on a higher level. I love extreme sports. Traveling, 100%. And um, just helping people. You know, I, like I'm a people person. I like bringing people up, helping people. I like making people laugh, making people feel good. Um, like giving back. So what are, what are the things that you cannot live without? And then how do you just build a, like a lifestyle around that? And that was why I started NESW because it was like, I love traveling. I love skateboarding and I love helping people. So of course I'm going to make this nonprofit. Okay. Yeah. Right? Tell us about this nonprofit. So it's now evolving skateboarding worldwide and, and we are the entrepreneurs of skateboarding. So I help everything that we're talking about. I try to relate skateboarding to business, to relationships, to our own lives so that I can build up the next leaders in the skateboard industry. So I can start showing people where they're like, oh, you're a skateboarder and they don't look down on it, but they're like, I want to be like that because we don't, we view skateboarders as these hash underground, smoke weed, you know, F the police, all this stuff. It's like, you know, we, we did that to ourselves as a skate, the skateboard industry, but how will, how will the skateboard industry view me in 50 years? And whenever little kids are coming up to me at the skate park, I don't like to think I'm the older guy at the skate park, but I, I am now, right? These 12 year olds. And I think back when I was 12, looking up to these guys, am I going to give this kid a cigarette or am I going to help him? Now I'm that future. People are looking at me, asking me to like sign their board or to, Hey, are you sponsored? Like, do you have a YouTube channel? Can I get your Instagram? These types of things. And I love it. It makes me feel so good. Uh, so how, how do I want to help them? And you can't just go give every homeless person a dollar because then you'd be broke. Like if I just gave you all my money, now I don't have any money. There has to be a system. Um, and from traveling and seeing little kids, you know, homeless, seeing poverty, seeing all these crazy different things. It was like, I really want to help these people. Uh, and how do I build a system to allow to make an impact, not just to one person, to five people, but globally. And I know that, okay, let me just start by donating one skateboard. Now let, let me give away five skateboards. And this was me going to the skate shop, buying a board and then giving it to someone. But then I thought I want to give someone my own board. So they remember me and they remember my purpose. And that was when I created the buy, buy one, donate one, where you buy a skateboard, it's the same cost as getting one in the shop. And then you get to choose where you donate the other one. So it makes you feel good. And I'm starting the act of giving in the skateboard industry because they get to choose, oh, I'm going to feed a family in need by riding this board. And we say every push has a purpose when you skate NESW, because literally by you riding that board allows us to go and donate one 
to a kid in Nicaragua that would never have the opportunity to skate. It allows us to give our programs that teach about health, wealth, love, and happiness. And, you know, all of these foundational finding your purpose and your goals and all these things, we built programs around it so that when people support us, we can go and give that back, not just in the skate industry, but through skateboarding to everyone. And that's, you know, slowly, but surely we're, we're on our third year. Uh, and, and we're growing. We've donated over 117 skateboards to foster care and kids in need. We fed now over, you know, anywhere from like 100 to 200 people for Thanksgiving, where we personally deliver groceries. Like we're, we're getting the ball rolling, but I can't dump all my eggs in this basket. This is something that I'm building that I thought was going to make me financially free, uh, which I learned pretty quickly that no, this is not going to make you financially free. This is not how I'm going to have the money to buy a private jet. So it's like, okay, how do I pivot? Where does the, the product market fit? And that's when investing in coaches, investing in people that have, again, what you want, and then they can look at you and say, uh, this is awesome. You're doing a really good job, Jacob. I love all this, but you're not going to get rich selling skateboards. You're not going to get rich trying to, you know, feed all the people in Arizona or build a skate park in in the Galapagos. So if you want to do that, here's what you need to do. So it was like, you're, I'm juggling these pieces and prioritizing, but I'm going off the guidance of other people that have done it. And most people won't invest in themselves. Uh, Like when I tell people like, yeah, I, you know, I pay, I paid someone a thousand dollars just to talk to them for 30 minutes. Who, who would do that? The people that want what they, you know, they have that drive. It was like, I'll spend any amount, you know, take my laptop, take my phone, whatever you want. Just give me the answers. Cause like, I'm, I'm here, I'm ready. I'm willing to put in the work. What do I have to do? And um, they say when, you know, when the student's ready, the teacher will appear. It's like, I'm ready. And I'm just hungry. I'm so ready. It's like, where do I need to go? And I'm trying to always put myself in the position to get answers. Because if I'm just sitting here, I'm not, if I don't make phone calls for sales, I'm not making money. Right. Um, so you got to think, what's your routine? It comes back to what are you doing right now? What are you doing on a day-to-day basis? Because we sleep a third of our lives. We work another third of our lives. So you only have one third. If, you, if you're binge watching Game of Thrones two hours a night, I mean, like, just do the math. If you spend one hour a day for a year, that's 365 hours that you spend on whatever you're doing. If you commute an hour to work and an hour back, there's two hours a day, over 700 hours a year that you're driving. So you start breaking it down and looking at it on an annual thing. And you're like, man, I really only have like three weeks to build my, my goals. <laughs> so uh, yeah, it's huge. Really reevaluating your time. Yeah. And actually stopping to take a look at like, what are your goals? How, who are the people that you need to hang out with um, to lead you down the path? And yeah, what kind of stuff do you need to cut out? Um, that isn't a priority or serving you. Because I think, like you said earlier on, like when you get comfortable, like things just kind of flow and the time goes by, but really you have to get uncomfortable to really figure out what it is that you want and how to move forward. Oh, there's so much good stuff. Okay. I could just talk to you forever, but I do have a few final questions for you. Um, So the first one is, besides skateboarding, what other things light you up and have you losing track of time? Mm, Good question. Recently has been golf. 
I've golf has always been a vacation sport. Uh, and maybe this is back again with like my brother, you know, and just because he lives in Panama. I see him like once every two years, once a year, if that. And again, start talking about awareness here. You think that we're going to live another, I'm 25. Let's say I live to be a hundred. Right. Um, but in reality, that's, if I see my brother once every two years and I live another 50 years, then I'm only going to see him 25 more times. If I see my mom who lives on the East coast once a year for Christmas and she lives for another 30 years then I'm only seeing her 30 more times. So no, you don't have 30 more years with your mom. You don't have, you know, this whole, we think that, Oh, we have all year, right? It's January. Oh, I got all year to do my goals. I got all year. I got the next couple of months to go to the gym, but the summer is going to be here tomorrow. And then there's going to be a day where you're just sitting there like, man, it, it, it just, it's going to catch up. So you have to really look at it and be aware of it and try to just prioritize what, what you love. And, but golf, getting back to that, uh, it was just a vacation sport and now I'm getting into it. And I just like to be out because I could be sitting down and, and sleeping in on the weekend, but then I'm like, I'll try to force myself out, go hit some golf balls and I'll go alone and then just show up and I, you start meeting new people. I just played around a golf with um, a 71 year old named John who lived through education. And we were talking about retirement and how he did it. And he loves his life. And he did, he's not, you know, a multimillionaire and, or anything like that. But he said, you know, Jacob, I love my life. I, I don't re remember an, a time where I have not been happy. Like I just genuinely love my life. I've got a great wife. I got kids and grandkids and everybody's healthy and I just love what I do. So his takeaway, if I, those things is like, you, you start learning from people. So yeah, golf takes away my time, but I like to go and talk to new people and, uh, you know, waste my time that way. I'd say. I love that. Okay. So people always seem to want the latest, greatest gadgets, the new and improved version, um, of whatever it is. But oftentimes we forget that we need to continually, continuously invest and upgrade ourselves. So why do you think so many people are willing to throw down so much money on the latest gadget, but then when it comes to investing in personal development, full stop, like, why is that? Why do you think? I don't, I don't think that they're, they're committed enough as badly as they want the good life. Most people are not willing to do what the good life entails. Like when you think of, um, I don't know, just any successful person. It's like, oh yeah, flashy. I want them. I want the nice cars, live in Beverly Hills, have my own plane. But then when they look at the, they, you know, they peel back the curtains and they see what it takes to get there. They're like, nah, no. Okay. No, I'm, I'm good. Fine. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll just go, go grab the new purse or iPhone or yeah. Exactly. It it's easier. Yeah. So you got to be willing to spend money on, on yourself. If you're going to drop a thousand dollars on a new phone, you should at least spend that on yourself. I mean, easy, easily, because again, you're, you pay people that have already done it to give you the answers. It's like, um, solving a Rubik's cube. If you never, if you've never solved it, you don't know what to do. And I know how to do it. I could just have you sit there for weeks, months, and then you'll just set it aside and get bored of it because you just can't figure it out. Or I can sit you down and give you a video tutorial on how to do it step-by-step step, guaranteed. And yeah, maybe it takes you an hour to figure out through the tutorial, but then you can solve it in three minutes after. And then it's just engraved in your, in your mind. And I charged you 5,000 for that. 
it's like most people won't pay the $5,000 to learn it. They'll just try to figure it out, figure it out. They'll set it down then they'll pick it back up for a minute and they'll set it down. And then all of a sudden they're old. They're not where they want to be driving what they don't want to drive surrounded by people they don't want to be with in a marriage that doesn't make them happy. And they're wondering why their life hasn't panned out when you could just pay someone and they'll shave off five years of your life, 10 years of your life, you know? What a beautiful analogy. Yes. That one piece right there. Yeah. That's everything. Uh, back to investing. So like investing in yourself can be super scary and lots of people might be reluctant. So what would you say to someone who's on the fence about investing in themselves? Like what's one simple thing that they can do to kind of get started or low entry? Um, the information is free out there. And so if you think like top person, I don't know, maybe Tony Robbins, for example, cause that was the first person that I started listening to, uh, he has hours and hours and hours of free content. You can go to the library and pick up a book for free. Um, and then you, if you can get value from the free stuff and you're like, man, this guy's changed my life just from the free stuff. I wonder what the paid stuff looks like. Um, so I wouldn't just go to someone that's like, Hey, you know, I have this program and I'll do this and you know, I'll change your life. Go and find the free stuff that they have and, and learn from someone that you love, like, and trust and whoever that looks like, but the information is out there. I mean, there's just, there's no excuse now to why you can't figure out something, right? If you get a flat tire and you pull off on the side of the road, you don't know how to change the tire, you go to YouTube and say, okay, a Toyota RAV4 2018, I need tire change. And then it's right there. You got 30 different videos of it. If you want to learn how to fix a sink, you want to learn how to um, get Google certified. I mean, the Google certifications are free. Facebook certifications are free. You can go to Udemy, Skillshare, just start buying or not even have to pay for them. You just take the courses. They're, they're free. Uh, most people won't do that. You got to be committed to it. So it's like, what are you willing to sacrifice to flip it? And we teach that in you know, the mindset mastery where we have our habits. You got to look at what you're doing every day and okay, I'm spending an hour watching Netflix. What if I, you can't just stop that, right? You can't just stop smoking cigarettes. If you smoke five times a day, you have to substitute it with a good habit. So make a list of all the bad habits, all the things that are not helping your life, and then make a list of all the things that would help your life and then replace them. So if you spend an hour watching Netflix, maybe you watch an hour of a program. And if you spend an hour a day watching a program in a year, you will have 365 hours of training compared to just watching 365 hours of random Netflix shows. And it's in that process. You're not, it's not going to happen overnight. You got to just the small little daily habits, right? The, the candy bar is not going to kill you. But in 30 years, when you get diabetes, that's what kill you. It's a silent killer. You can't just see the little things where it's like you smoke a cigarette in the, in, or drink a beer. It doesn't. Yeah. I mean, it, it's bad for you. You know it, but you're not going to die until you go to the doctor and they say, hey, you have cancer. And then you, you're like, oh, I'm going to stop smoking. But it's too late. It's too late. So you have to know that you have, you have to have faith in yourself that, OK, I'm going to do these right things and I'm not going to see results. I'm not going to see results at all. And I'm going to keep doing them because I know that the compounding effect of this is going to pay off in the future. And if you should and you could, then you should probably do it. Wow. Love it. Yes, absolutely. It's like the little, little things consistently um, compound over time. So, um, and I like how you say, yeah, it doesn't happen overnight, but if you stick with it, then eventually you're going to see a shift. You um, always will. 
and it's random. Like it is so random. It, I can't describe like the, the new clients that I've gotten or the relationships that I've gotten. They're just so random and you would never think it. But then you're sitting there like I was sitting, I was in Tom Bilyeu's house not too long ago in his new, you know, multi-million dollar mansion in Beverly Hills. And I'm shaking this guy's hand and I'm talking to him in his garage. And then it's just like you have this moment of realization where I'm like, wow, everything that I've done, writing out my goals every day, all of these things, listening to Tony Robbins. When I was mad at my dad and I'm running around the block listening to, to Tony Robbins or Jim Rohn. This is, this is paying off from that. And you don't know the payoff, but it's going to come back to you. And yeah, it's, it's a beautiful thing. Yes, absolutely. I feel like even if you don't know what it is, the payoff, like just having faith that doing the things that are going to lead you there eventually will lead you to something beautiful and you might be unexpected or in surprising ways, things that you couldn't even dream or imagine are going to happen when you get into alignment and start making these little shifts in your life. Yes. Yeah. They will happen. They will happen. It always works out for the people. You know, they, those that, those that knock will find open doors. Those that ask shall, shall receive, right? Those, those that give shall receive. Um, I always tell people if they want, they want, everybody wants things. You want a big house. You want a good family. You want financial freedom. You want, 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 but what are you willing to give? What are you willing to do? Um, you know, go give someone something, go provide value for someone, go make someone else rich. And I promise that will come back to you. Go do something for someone else. Stop focusing on what you can get. Start focusing on what you can give to the marketplace and, and it'll pay you. It will pay you in ways, like you said, that you can't even imagine it right now. Oh, that must have been such an incredible feeling being in Tom's house, shaking his yeah. hand. And yeah, I know you've been surrounded by some pretty amazing people, but like you said before, you are willing to put yourself at those events, get the mentors, get the coaches, do the things that you need to do to surround yourself by these people who you want to be in their shoes, doing similar things to them in your own way. So you're in the rooms with these people now. So I just... I can't even wait to see, um, how your journey unfolds because you're 25 years old, which is still so insane to me. Cause I'm like, how is this guy 25 years old, um, with the mindset that you have and, um, just in the place that you are, it's just like unbelievable to me that somebody at your age can just have such wisdom. And I feel kind of like you said before, um, kind of the way that I think or feel, uh, it doesn't matter like how old or young someone is. Um, like I could be hanging out with, like you're hanging out with this guy at the golf course, who's 70. Like we all, if you're in alignment, um, can connect on like a human level and bring value to, to one another. So yeah, I just think it's so cool that you're so young and you're so full of wisdom and knowledge and all of this stuff to share. And I just can go on and on. Like you say, like go and give. Um, and that's what you're doing. Like you're giving so much value, the, even in your NESW, like you are, um, giving these children, these families, uh, like a second lease at life, um, through what you're doing. So I just think it's so incredible to see where you are. Um, and I think that could be such inspiration for, so many other people that 
you know, it, it could take a lifetime to get there, but it would be worth it because if you're following the path that you're passionate and lit up, lit up about, then it's worth it. But you at 25 are in this place. So it could take a lifetime or it could take a year or it could take five years. You just never know. But when you're it's in alignment. Take time. Yeah. And, and thank you for saying that. I appreciate it. And I, I want people to know that it's everything looks on the surface and especially social media, everything looks gravy. Like it's all, it's all fine. This guy's, Oh, he's successful. He made it. I can't do it. Or, Oh, they're successful. But you just go look at the success stories from people um, like Oprah Winfrey. How many times has she denied television because she was unfit for TV and she's like the number one talk host, right? Colonel Sanders wasn't successful until he was like 70 and that just popped off. So he just didn't give up his entire life. Um, Walt Disney, they said he was like uncreative. They, he lacked imagination. And this is a guy that built Disney world. He was shut down for the idea of Disney world so many times, like hundreds of times. But if you give up on the 30th time or the third time, um, you know, or the hundredth time, what if he just was at 99, he's like a hundred, that's it done. But he kept going. Um, so it's, you know, you just got to keep going. You just got to keep going because <laughs> there's no other option for me. There's no other option. Like I'll, I'll fail the rest of my life. And my, my brother's talked to me about this. He's like, well, what, what happens if you don't become a millionaire? What happens if you just, if you don't have a billion dollars, Jacob, are you going to, you're just going to not be happy. I'm like, bro, I'm happy now. I'm, I love my life now, but I'm going to constantly be a better version of myself tomorrow. I'm not settling for less. I'm, if I can do more, it goes back to what Jim Rohn says. If you could do more, or if you could do something and you should do something, why don't you do something? Right. We could read, we should read, but most people don't read. The average millionaire is reading a book a week, but the average person reads less than one a year. So if you want to be ahead of the curve, just start reading, just read one book. You're ahead of the curve. Um, you know, so if you could, you should, you do more. And most people could, should, they don't. And, and a, a larger part, they could, they should, and, and they won't. They just are arrogant and they just won't do it. Um, so start eating right. Start doing it. Start changing your routine. And just slowly, you just start blending into your life that you love and want to be. And like I said, I'm happy now. You know, um, I'd like to live a long life. I'd, I want to live out all my wilds fantasies and you know accomplish everything but i'm not going to beat myself up if i don't do it i'm happy with where i'm at now you have to be happy now and and like you said that alignment it's an energy you got to align with it you got to ask the universe for it just be around positivity if you hate your job and you make a lot of money again you know my daddy makes a lot of money but he's stressful he can he non-stop works it's like great you want to make a lot of money and not have the health, the wealth, the love, or the happiness. Cool. Yeah, do it. But like, that's not what I want. I'd rather make 10 times less and be happy trying to make 10 times more and never do it than to just go show up and be surrounded by people I don't want to be around and just collect a paycheck for something, you know? So brilliant. Okay. So what are some current struggles that you're working through right now? And what are some tools and strategies that you use to when something comes up right now, I got hit with, I don't know what most people are probably going to call it COVID because of cough or whatever, but I have not been feeling well since before, um, since before new year's I think I mentioned this cause we were supposed to talk, you know, the, the previous week, I'm still like, I had, like I have a cough in my throat or something. So 
you start the new year and you're like, yeah, I'm going to start the new year. I'm going to go and do all these new things, got a new schedule, whatever. But I really have been, it's, it's just not been right. And for, again, it goes back to nobody's, nobody's perfect. Um, yeah, maybe I've been a little bit lazy. I feel like I've slept in a little bit more. I haven't been writing my goals out. I haven't been doing this and this is peeling back the curtain that nobody wants to talk about, but yeah, cool. I've, I've made success and I've, I'm working towards whatever. And you can see nice things on my Instagram, but at the end of the day, like I haven't been doing things that I should be doing. And I know that I should, and I could, but I didn't, I'm not. And I got myself in the gym today and it was the first time this year. So 12 days it took me to get myself in the gym because I just made the decision that I'm, I'm just tired of it. Yeah. I feel like shit, but I'm just at least going to go to the gym just to be there and get in the routine of just walking there. And yeah, maybe I, I don't have the best workout, but at least I'm there. And then tomorrow I'll show up and um, you just have to show up. So for me, that's, I've been struggling with those things. Um, but, and this is the, the huge takeaway. Tomorrow is a new day. Yeah. You were a piece of shit your whole life. That doesn't mean you need to be one tomorrow. You were mean to people, um, whatever you're this bully or I don't know, you, you have these routines, but we all have a decision to change. And unless we change, nothing will change for you. And, um, you know, if you want your life to change, you, you got to change. It's like, are you willing to change? Most people are not willing to change, but it's literally as simple as, as turning a dial. And, um, it's harder than it looks. Right. But I talk about this with happiness and feelings. Cause I honestly, I don't like, I've gotten sad and I've been, I've had some dark times, you know, and th- with, with deaths and, you know, breakups and whatever, but like you, you have a decision to be happy. I, when people are like, Oh, I can't be happy. That's because you're telling yourself I can't be happy. You're, if you want to be sad, if you think about sadness and depression, you're like, okay, someone, they have like a hoodie on and they're all in their bed and the lights off and the, the blinds are down. Like it's, it's in a, it's like a physical thing. You're putting yourself in that environment, get yourself out and go on a walk. Look at the sunrise. Cause you're not, I'm telling you, you look at a sunrise or you look at like a hummingbird that's flying by your face. Yeah. Maybe you're depressed and you know, whatever your life, but in that split moment, you'd find happiness. So just go out and start looking at things. What can you see today that you've never seen before? What can you listen to that you've never listened to before? What can you taste that you never tasted before? These types of things. And you start asking yourself better questions and, and just doing new things. And I promise it's like you decide to be happy. Nobody dictates your happiness or your success. You do. And when you have that mindset, yeah, maybe, maybe you're broke, but you're like, I'm rich. When you look at yourself and you say, I'm a winner and you have lost everything, it, you know, you're going to succeed better than the person that's sitting there looking at themselves like, wow, I'm a failure. I'm a failure. I can't do it. I can't do it. It's not for me. Oh, it's just for the rich. Oh, what, you know, I I'll never do that. Yes, you can, but it starts with telling yourself. Making that decision. That is like my whole, um, what I live for, like the gratitude, like I, can tell you, um, I, I feel like gratitude is my superpower. And if you look for it, you will find it. You will find the positivity, positivity attracts positivity. There's always, always, always something to be grateful for. And if you look for it, if you look for the happiness, it is there. So you get I it through that. the experience. Um, the, like seeing a little kid homeless, seeing little kids that are my nephew's age, huffing glue naked in the streets, no education, no parents, no food, no nothing, you know, we'll, we'll probably 
die in the next five years. It's like, there's no roads, there's no street signs, there's no nothing. I mean, when you start going and experiencing things that go into the poverty, go to the worst parts of town, just to see, go where there's homeless people with tents lined up for miles, right? Look at it. I, you know, I've seen, I was in San Francisco like two years ago and I saw, I was skating down the street and then I'm like, I skate by this guy. He's got a needle in his arm doing heroin. I'm like, oh my gosh, you know? And it's by seeing that there's always, there's always people that have it worse than you. You think that your problems are problems, but come on, like there are people that have problems and I have to catch myself too. And I'm like, man, the Wi-Fi is slower. There's no internet or I can't get a phone call in my apartment because the Verizon doesn't work at this certain spot. You know, it's like, I'm really complaining about these things. Uh, and through the travels and everything that we've talked about the past hour, like that's, that's my mindset. You got to put yourself back into it. And unless you go and experience things and you put yourself in those new environments, it's then it's harder to flip that switch. Cause if I start telling myself these things like, Oh, I have such a bad life or I can't make it. Or, you know, I start getting down on myself. I'm like, dude, come on. Okay. Hold on a second. <laughs> I just, I've never been late on rent payment. You know, I'm, I've got a new iPhone. I've got a laptop. I've got friends. I've got this nonprofit. Like I try to go through my wins, you know? Um, and it's, it's easier when you can experience things. So the biggest thing, go experience, go out there and do stuff, get uncomfortable. Absolutely. Okay. So my final question for you is I think the skate bar, the skate park can be underrated. So tell us what happens at the skate park. What is it about the skate park that improves lives? It gives, it gives you one, a place to skate. Um, Cause before like surfers took surfing to the streets when there wasn't a swell. So that was why skaters were in the streets and there was no skate parks. They're like, what are you doing? And that was the whole society of like, who are these people? They're skating in the street. And, and then we started building skate parks and now we have a place, but people still like being in the streets. So number one, it gives you a place. Uh, number two, uh, the skateboard industry is there. Like, there's no prejudice. There's no, it doesn't matter. Um, I have found friends and people. There's just skateboarding is taking me so many places just because I'm good at skateboarding. Um, you know, in Nicaragua, I met the, one of the guys I met, he was in prison for years because he was like the number one drug dealer there like if, if you needed anything that was the guy and nobody messed with him like he had he controlled that little city and um i'm sitting on a bus with this guy going six hours on a skate trip and he's taking me to waterfalls and he was like you want to if you come with us we will show you nicaragua how we how the locals know it no tourist attraction nothing and he he showed me hot springs and canyons and you know, waterfalls. It was amazing. But then I'm meeting this guy and I'm walking around the town. Like I own the place because I didn't have a fear that I was going to get stabbed. Like if I knew that I'm with this guy, everybody knew it. And that came from me skating at, at their local park. And they're like, who is this guy? He's really good. And, um, you know, we have parks here, they don't have parks. So for me to go there is like, I have, I have that advantage. Um, because I've been, you know, I, I, I just, I've been on ramps and nice parks and with people and they have a dirt, you know, like a freaking dirt road with one little rail that they constructed. It's like, that's it. That's it. And so whenever I'm there, I made a bunch of friends and for someone at the skate park to answer your question, it's like, you will find a good community. There's never someone that is going to um, bring you down or call you a poser, or, you know, 
every real skateboarder or, or just person that loves skating, it's just so inclusive. And the people that do make you an outcast, those are not skaters. Those are like the posers. Like a true poser is someone that is like, oh, you suck. You can't do this. Or they're making fun of you or just doing weird things. Or you'll find the people drinking beers, not even skating, just smoking cigs at the park. It's like, that's not the skate community. You know, it's very uh, inclusive. It doesn't matter your skin color, the language you speak. Um, it's, it's its own language in itself. And it's taken me around the world. Like that's why I travel with this, with my backpack and a skateboard. And um, there's been times where it, it's shown that where the universe is talking to you. Like I said, I slept for like five days on this random peninsula in Costa Rica. I had a taxi take me and drop me off. Nothing, no restaurants, no, no, no hotels, no nothing. And then all of a sudden I'm trucking through this jungle. There's howler monkeys above me, literally like off the grid. There is a half pipe, a broken down half pipe right next to the beach from some dude that had built this private house out there. And like, I guess built a half pipe for himself, but it was like, I didn't, there was no place to skate. I'm carrying around this skateboard. It's hot. I don't know why I have it. And then the universe is like, here's this skateboard. And I've got no plans, nothing, but I got the beach in front of me and a half pipe. And, um, yeah, it's just one little sign that just told me that skateboarding will take me wherever I need to go. Very cool. And what, what a cool community to be a part of the skateboarding community. So lastly, where can everyone find you at? pick up a skateboard, donate, or connect with you and find out about all of your offerings. Yeah. So I'm on Instagram, YouTube, skateboard mentor, follow me, send me a DM, talk to me. I love talking to people, meeting new people, helping people out. Um, if you want to learn more about our nonprofit now evolving skateboarding worldwide or just nestworldwide.org. Again, every skateboard that we sell, we donate one and you get to choose. It's really cool. You just, if you want to feed a family, we'll feed a family. Um, but yeah, nestworldwide.org or follow me and, and send me a message. Skateboard mentor said, I, I love talking to people. Awesome. Well, we'll link all of that in the show notes. So thank you again. I just feel like I have just learned so much from this conversation and I absolutely love talking with you. So thank you for spending your time with me today. Thank you so much. It's been really fun. Hope to talk to you again soon. Thank you for joining me on today's episode of All Things Relatable. If you know someone that would relate to this episode and get value from it, please pass it along. Also, if this episode resonated with you, I would love for you to rate, review, and subscribe.